0: Hey, today I want to talk to you about our second keystone of Christian faith, and I want to talk to you about humility. Talked about mercy last week, humility this week. I am speaking to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, my son and daughter-in-law are having us here for a short vacation. It's great to be here. And I wasn't planning to have to preach this message, or to get to preach this message, because I'm on vacation. But because we have some problems with quarantine regarding tech people, uh, we couldn't record the message uh, from Ed, who was going to take care of it, Ed Roberts. And so here I am uh, doing it now. And I'm really glad to be doing it. I would encourage you, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. The first is in Proverbs 16, and there is a Bible app event for this message. And I want to start just by saying I really don't feel qualified to preach this message on humility because I struggle with pride. And maybe you do as well. In fact, I'm guessing you probably do. My struggle with pride was evident as we were riding down from home down to the airport in Pittsburgh. Laurel was writing some notes while I was kind of putting together a skeleton of an outline. I fleshed it out then in the airplane on the way here and finished it up at about five this morning. I got up and finished it up this morning. But there in the car, I said to Laurel, uh, write this down. Oh, think about this. Write that down. Write that down. She's writing notes for me. And one of the things I said was this. I said a sentence, pride is a two-edged sword. And then I went on to explain what I meant by that. Write it down, Laurel. Pride's a two-edged sword. Here's what I mean. I mean that pride hurts you this way and pride hurts you that way. And my wife said, with great kindness <laughs> you know that's not the way that figure of speech is used that that phrase two-edged sword speaks of something that is good on one hand and bad on the other hand you don't say two-edged sword when something is bad on one hand and bad in a second way you're using that figure of speech in a way that other people don't now here's my reply that's the way i want to use it and i think other people are wrong <laughs> I'm going to redefine the nature of the figure of speech, two-edged sword. And of course, while I was saying it, I was laughing. And she was laughing as well, because here I am, writing a sermon on humility, acting with great arrogance and hubris and pride in my my talking about it with my wife. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I struggle with pride. You may feel this is irrelevant to you. You may feel like, well, I don't have any struggle in the area of humility. This is for you. Or you may feel like, I've heard so many sermons on this, there's nothing new I can learn about this. This is for you. <laughs> because all of us struggle with humility. It marks our lives uh, with a kind of clamor, clamoring for something, because we lack humility. People who've been successful often struggle with humility. The, the good student, uh, pride can take root in, in her heart. Or the successful businessman, a sense of self-admiration uh, for what he has been able to accomplish can mark his dealings. And that handsome fellow, ha you know, no, no, not me. But that handsome fellow, pride can settle in. And even people who do poorly can have kind of a weird sense of pride. Oh, I haven't had everything handed to me like those people have, those blue-nosed, high-and-mighty people. And actually, they're dealing with the problem of pride. They're taking pride in their poverty, but not the way James tells us to do that. It's hubris. It would probably be good for us to give some thought to the nature of hubris and humility, the difference between hubris and humility. Hubris is a word that you don't hear too much. It means excessive pride and excessive self-confidence and arrogance. Perhaps some people use the word hubris just to show off their vocabulary, right? I, I'm, just starting to, I'm just using it here, though, because it begins with an H, like hubris and humility. You know, how, what are the differences between those two? Hubris has a destructive nature about it. I ask you to open your Bibles to Proverbs 16. Look at verse 18 and you'll read a verse you'll say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before a fall. You've heard that many times. Pride does that because it makes you careless. I honestly think that many of the pastors and Christian leaders who have fallen from their ministry position, we've seen a lot of that in the past decade or two, I think they become careless about their walk with Christ because they felt... Pride, and they crash. Pride makes you careless. Pride can make you lonely as well. It makes you lonely because it makes you ugly. Now, I know that's not a nice word, ugly, but I'm not talking about physically ugly. I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking about your, your spirit and your demeanor and your disposition and your personality. And someone who is marked with, with hubris, is not attractive at all. And people generally, good people, generally don't want to be around them. But you know, the scariest part of struggling with hubris is that it places you in opposition to God. I thought about having you look at these Bible verses, but let me just read them for you. I have three of them. The Bible says three times that pride sets God against you. Three times it says that. Here's the first one. It's in Proverbs 3.34 where it says, Of God, he mocks proud mockers, which shows favor to the humble and oppressed. And then Peter picks up on that in 1 Peter 5.5 when he says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then James says it so concisely. He says, But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Yeah, there's some things I don't want in my life. (laughs) I don't want to be careless and fall into destruction. I don't want to be lonely and have no friends. I don't want to be at odds with God. So I want to be free of hubris. And verse 3 tells us that being free of hubris, that humility itself actually has kind of an unexpected blessing with it. It tells us that the humble find grace or favor from God. Humility puts us in the good graces of people. (laughs) That's an unexpected charisma that you find among humble people, that you like them. Good people generally respect those who are humble. And humility opens the doors of your heart to God's grace, a grace that you know you desperately need. God gives grace to the humble. Because although all mankind, all humankind, needs the grace of God, The humble know that they need it and they willingly admit that they need it. And so the humble don't carry a burden of hubris. Their life is free of that kind of clamor. The humble feel free. They don't need to promote themselves. Their lives aren't marked by boasting. Their value comes from the grace of God. The humble don't feel need to maneuver themselves into the spotlight, clamoring for attention or even affection. God gives them attention, and that's more than enough. And the humble don't have to posture themselves and pretend so that they get respect from others. They are not posers. They have all that they desire, favor from God. There are certain things in life that are just beautiful by nature. They don't need any tweaking. A sunset. Sometimes you'll see someone put a picture of a sunset on Instagram, hashtag no filter. And what they're saying is, I didn't filter this at all. This is how it really looked. It's beautiful, just because it's a sunset. A young couple in love, that's beautiful. A baby deer, that's beautiful. You may never have thought of it like this, but in the way that those things are beautiful, humility itself is beautiful by its very nature. If you'd like to, turn to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read there in a moment. Humility. It's beautiful. But I want to say to you, I'm not talking about self-deprecation. That is not beautiful. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this in Mere Christianity. Listen as I read maybe half a dozen sentences from him. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He's not some sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed cheerful. He seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. (laughs) That's not self-deprecation. It's something completely different self-deprecation does not fit in the life of the redeemed person i mean listen to what peter says in first peter chapter 2 starting at verse 9 just two verses here he says but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of god once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy i don't hear any exhortation towards self-deprecation there. I hear Peter saying that as we have come to faith in Christ, we have received mercy and it has transformed us into something beautiful. Humility. It comes to those... I'm sorry, mercy. Mercy comes to those who humble themselves before God. And it's a beautiful kind of thing. What is humility? Humility, listen to this. Humility is a sense of your own flaws and limitations apart from Christ and then knowing who you now are in Christ. Let me say that again. Humility is a sense of your own flaws and limitations apart from Christ and knowing who you are when you are in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, could say he was the chief of sinners and could say he was an apostle, set apart for God's work. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He's not being self-deprecating. He's simply acknowledging who he is apart from Christ. And then he goes on in other places over and over again, when he introduces himself to his reader at the very beginning of books like Romans and 1 Corinthians and Galatians, well, in Galatians 1, he says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I'm an apostle. So Paul knows who he is apart from Christ. He knows who he is in Christ. And when you see someone who understands who they are apart from Christ and understands who they are in Christ, you're looking at true humility. And it's a beautiful thing. Years ago, Dr. Shepson would come to Kermansville Alliance. Dr. Charles Shepson would come to Kermansville Alliance and speak. He is a great man of faith. He's a celebrated speaker who has spoken all over the world, written a number of books. One of my favorites is Quiet Miracles. He has a Started a, he had started years ago a counseling ministry specifically for pastors and international workers and I had personally benefited from that place and that ministry. I love him like a spiritual dad and I'm not alone in that. Whenever he would come and speak in this little town of Kermansville, Kermansville Alliance Church, I would always say to him, Dr. Shepson, I am so thankful you came to our church to speak. And he would reply with words like these, Oh, Steve, it is I who am thankful. It humbles me that you consider me worthy of the pulpit. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And as he said it, you could feel the reality of his sincere heart, the beautiful heart of humility. Dr. Shepson knows who he is apart from Christ, and he knows who he is in Christ. And his life is free from clamor, As he lives that tranquil, he lives in that tranquil place of humility. That tranquil place of humility. I kind of like that phrase. Let's talk about how we can find a tranquil place of humility. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 105. There are numerous Psalms I could have pointed you to. This is the one I found at 5 o'clock this morning (laughs) Psalm 105. People whose lives are marked by hubris, clamor for notoriety. They want to be known. They want to be seen. They want to be somebody. And they never really find peace of mind or satisfaction in that. But people whose lives are marked by humility are people whose hearts are at rest. They understand what Paul said when he says, when he speaks of godliness with contentment. Contentment being great gain. How do you get that? I only have two suggestions, and both of them are essential. The first is this. Turn your eyes to Jesus. If you want the tranquility, that tranquil place of humility, first, turn your eyes to Jesus. Because as you become aware of who He is, of who God is, you tend to move toward humility. I was thinking last night, so much of Scripture speaks to this. So much of Scripture talks about how great God is. Take Psalm 105, for example. In verse 1 it says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and his judgments he's pronounced, you his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jesus. Why does this writer of Psalm 105 talk about all the things that God has done? And why does he tell his reader to speak about all those things? Well, naturally, to exalt him God, to praise God, to encourage people to trust God. But I happened to think last night, I think there's another reason we can't find this kind of thing throughout Scripture. And it might be that it creates an environment of humility before God when you look at Him. God is strong. I am not. God does miracles. I do not. God judges justly. I do not. And turning our eyes toward God takes us to a place of humility. He is God; I am not. If you want to increase this quality of humility and contemplate the nature of God, are you worried about the state of our nation? <laughs> well, then remind yourself of the last time you were worried about the state of our nation. Do you remember feeling that way years ago? I do. Now, remember God's faithfulness years ago. And isn't it humbling to imagine Him caring about a people such as us? Meditating on the goodness of God is humbling and it sets aside the clamor in your soul. Look back at something else when you're thinking of God. Look back at the last time you worried about your health and remember how Christ preserved you. There are people in our church who have experienced amazing healings and you know them and you know of that. Look back at that and remember that. It is humbling to realize that it is by his wounds that we're healed. And it takes away the clamor. It takes you to that tranquility. Look back at the last time you worried about your children and what the future held for them. And consider how God walked with you through the valley of the shadow. And isn't isn't it humbling to imagine, to realize, that he will do the same for you and your children and your children's children. You can increase the quality of humility and decrease the clamor in your life when you turn your eyes on Jesus. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Take a good look at who you are. If you want to, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. Have you ever seen someone who was really naturally gifted, you know, and they didn't even have to try? Could have been a musician, could be an academics. Maybe it's that, that guy on the team in sports who didn't even show up for practice and he still led the league in his position. When that person who doesn't even have to try has a prideful heart, have you ever thought about how weird that is? i'm six foot two i have often been pleased about that it has felt good to be six foot two especially when i was younger i like that but how can i be proud about that how can i be proud that yeah i'm six foot two that's crazy i did nothing to make that happen it was just an accident of birth a matter of genetics when it comes to christian faith it's the same way none of us have done anything to make it happen It is all grace. It is given by grace. It is sustained by grace. Mm -hmm. Did I ask you a moment ago to open your Bibles to Ephesians 2? I did. Mm -hmm. Listen to verses 8 and 9. These are so worth memorizing. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works so that you don't get caught up in hubris. Not by works so that you can remain humble. Not by works so that he can be glorified and you know who he is and so that you can be humble as you know who you are. Hmm. Where would you be without the grace of God? Who would you be without Jesus? Jesus. What would your life look like, your family look like, without Christian influence from your church family? Where would you be headed apart from the grace of God in terms of eternity? Considering these two things, who God is and who you are, those can release you from the clamor of trying to be someone. It can increase your humility and strengthen this keystone of Christian faith in your life. And the best place to see these two things... Who God is and who you are is at the cross. Because at the cross you are seeing the ugliness of sin, your sin and mine, and at the cross you are seeing the value that Jesus puts on your very soul. He gives his life for you. Humility. It is a gateway to the gospel. No person can call themselves a follower of Christ. No person can be saved apart from humility. Because you must... Humble yourself and acknowledge your need for forgiveness. And you must see Christ for who he is, your Savior. That is why from time to time you will hear someone saying, Being saved isn't about saying a prayer. The sinner's prayer. You can't find the sinner's prayer in the Bible. You can't just say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and I trust you and know you're going to heaven. They're right when they say that. But when those words, Jesus, I trust you, I will follow you. Forgive me. When those words are accompanied with that measure of humility, seeing yourself for who you are, a desperately needy person, and seeing God for who he is, a gracious God willing to forgive you, then your life is transformed. Then you're saved. And that is beautiful. Humility is a keystone of Christian faith. It's essential in finding forgiveness, becoming a Christian, and it is essential in living your life As a christian and it takes away the clamor of hubris that we all find so repulsive i want to pray that this essential element of christian faith would thrive in your life would you bow your heart with me father in heaven all of us struggle with pride we all want to be somebody and we want to feel that pray that we would set that aside and know that we are somebody because of you that as we look to you and your great love for us it would It would turn our hearts away from the clamor of hubris. And as we see ourselves for who we are, apart from you, and in you, that it would increase the humility in our lives. So that you would be honored, Father, we would be blessed. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.